0: The new season of Famous Fates, titled Falls from Grace, is underway. Every Wednesday, we feature two new episodes that focus on a different scandalous figure from history. If you enjoy today's episode, head over to the Famous Fates feed and subscribe. These episodes are free and only available on Spotify. Today's episode features auto engineer and inventor John DeLorean whose legacy of industry innovation was left marred by failed launches, mounting debts, and even a drug trafficking charge. Today's other episode details the story of Elizabeth Holmes, the biotech startup founder accused of defrauding investors. To hear it, head over to the Famous Fates feed on Spotify to listen for free today.
1: In the 1985 movie Back to the Future, the character Marty McFly watches in awe as a car emerges from a cloud of smoke. But it isn't just any automobile. A gull-wing side door opens
0: upwards to reveal Dr. Emmett Doc Brown. He stands up and proudly introduces Marty to his latest experiment, a time-traveling DeLorean DMC-12 car.
1: To fans of the sci-fi comedy the iconic era-traversing automobile represented the opportunity to achieve the impossible, the chance to fulfill the dream of going backward and forward through time, a vision of future technology rooted in the past.
0: You might be surprised to learn that DeLorean wasn't just a car that existed in the movies. It was very real.
1: Automaker John DeLorean pitched the automobile as the world's most ethical car in the 1970s. It was supposed to revolutionize the way we drive.
0: But the dream crashed and burned before the car ever hit the road.
1: Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson.
0: I'm Carter Roy.
1: And this is season two of Famous Fates, Falls from Grace. This season, we're examining once revered historical figures whose stories ended in less than savory ways. Every week, we're bringing you two episodes examining the lives of two fascinating people in the same industry.
0: They were beloved for their incredible accomplishments until they were reviled for their sins.
1: This week, we're covering the bad businesses of infamous moguls, starting with auto engineer and inventor John DeLorean. DeLorean built an enormously successful career at GM, particularly within its Chevrolet and Pontiac divisions, creating the blueprint for the iconic American muscle car. But he's mostly known for his eponymous car and motor company, which failed when he became entangled in a cocaine trafficking scheme.
0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
1: It was October 1972 in Detroit, and General Motors President Ed Cole gathered his staff of buttoned-up, suited men in a conference room. He had an exciting announcement to make—a promotion.
0: The room quieted in anticipation— Cole looked to his left and gestured to a stylish, shaggy-haired 47-year-old named John DeLorean. The auto industry wonderkin was now the corporate vice president of the car and truck group.
1: DeLorean stood up and smiled. The other execs in the room applauded, some with enthusiasm, others with jealousy. They knew this wasn't just another empty vice president title. The new role was yet another sign of DeLorean's rising star status. Clearly, GM was grooming DeLorean to take over as company president.
0: Cole felt apprehensive about his would-be replacement. DeLorean was undoubtedly an innovator, but he was also a rebel. As the clapping faded, the current president recited a flawless list of DeLorean's recent achievements for the few people who hadn't heard of the auto industry hotshot. DeLorean had worked his way up the GM hierarchy. Starting as an assistant in the weekly performing Pontiac division in 1956, he would later help reinvent the brand by creating the 1964 Gran Turismo Amologato, better known as the Pontiac GTO the first American muscle car.
1: DeLorean prided himself on making innovative cars that resonated with the public. In the late 1960s and early 1970s, as the general manager of Pontiac, then Chevrolet, he oversaw the designs of the immensely popular Pontiac Firebird and the Chevrolet Cosworth Vega, to name a few.
0: After that promotion, DeLorean's life looked perfect on the surface. His new salary was $650,000 a year, plus bonuses. He was dating 22-year-old supermodel Christina Ferrar, and he regularly scored invites to Hollywood parties with the likes of Sammy Davis Jr. and Johnny Carson.
1: But DeLorean didn't care about the money or the fame. He wanted more.
0: Recently, senior management had rebuffed many of the pitches he was most passionate about, DeLorean wanted to make compact cars because he recognized the auto market would need them in the future. He also proposed production tweaks that could potentially save the company a billion dollars annually, but GM
1: rejected
0: both suggestions.
1: Obviously, DeLorean's ideas were ahead of their time. But he thought he'd get a chance to finally implement them after his promotion. And he really tried, too. A few weeks later, DeLorean had an idea to help GM through a dilemma. The company was unsure its cars could meet the soon-to-be-enforced federal emissions standards. So, top GM executives wanted to ask the government for a delay.
0: DeLorean pitched his own solution. Honesty. Honesty. He wanted GM to tell the government that they were trying, but couldn't guarantee the cars would meet the standards. The company passed on the suggestion.
1: By late October of 1972, DeLorean's frustration grew even more when his bosses told him to stop making waves. They said, now we're expecting you to blend in. DeLorean
0: tried to go with the flow, He attended endless meetings with senior executives who continued to reject his input, but he felt his creativity was stifled and he missed working hands on with engineers and specialists. After just a few weeks in the new role, he couldn't take it anymore.
1: In November, DeLorean received an opportunity to air his grievances. Senior management appointed him as a speaker at GM's ultra-private conference for more than 500 of its top executives and managers.
0: This was DeLorean's chance to finally be heard, especially by top brass more powerful than him. He wrote a scathing presentation detailing how GM's poor quality control was causing the company's bottom line to suffer. But when DeLorean submitted it to his bosses for review, they were understandably shocked and called an urgent meeting.
1: Management demanded that DeLorean tone down the criticism in his speech. Reluctantly, he agreed and worked on a kinder, gentler version of his remarks.
0: A few days later, on November 17, 1972, DeLorean walked up to the podium at the conference in West Virginia. GM executives braced themselves and then sighed with relief. DeLorean charismatically delivered the toned-down version of his presentation.
1: But to the dismay of GM, DeLorean's original remarks showed up in the Detroit News and the New York Times. This was despite the fact that both versions of the speech were supposed to remain confidential among GM employees.
0: GM executives never looked at DeLorean the same way. Even his most ardent supporters turned against him, believing that he had published the speech and betrayed the company intentionally. DeLorean denied it and insisted he was set up, but GM hired a private investigator, and a few months later, the PI confirmed the source of the leak was most likely DeLorean himself.
1: On April 19th of 1973, GM announced DeLorean's departure from the company. According to GM's top brass, DeLorean was offered an ultimatum, either voluntarily resign or be fired. DeLorean, however, asserted that he fired GM.
0: Regardless of who fired whom, DeLorean didn't walk away empty-handed. GM paid out his promised bonuses and appointed him to lead the National Alliance of Businessmen a nonprofit organization that helped people of underserved populations find
1: jobs. DeLorean looked forward to a calmer pace in his post-GM life. Later that year, he planned on opening a Cadillac dealership in Florida and working as a marketing consultant for small businesses. Due to a non-compete clause in DeLorean's separation contract from GM, he had to stop creating original cars until further notice. But as he told the New York Times in October of 1973, I can't go into competition with GM now, but somewhere down the line, we probably will.
0: In truth, DeLorean was planning to make his comeback sooner rather than later. He was already making plans to start his own car company.
1: He kept this a secret, of course, and began to covertly develop the company-to-be's flagship automobile by 1974. DeLorean envisioned a fuel-efficient, long-lasting sports car that emphasized safety, his ethical car. It contained all the features he wasn't allowed to implement at GM. He worked
0: with his own team of engineers and designers to build a prototype for his revolutionary car made from stainless steel. Then he used that model to attract millions of dollars of investment money, including cash from his celebrity friends Sammy Davis Jr. and Johnny Carson. He also courted several foreign countries to build a factory on their soil. Ultimately, DeLorean accepted over $100 million in grants and loans from the British government to construct a plant in Belfast, Northern Ireland.
1: On October 24th of 1975, he finally announced the formation of the DeLorean Motor Company, otherwise known as DMC.
0: GM immediately stopped paying out DeLorean's remaining bonuses, but he didn't care. He didn't want the money. What he really wanted was to show his former employer that his ideas had value after all.
1: DMC's motto was Live the Dream, but the auto industry reacted with eyes wide open. At the time, one of the last successful independent American car manufacturers to enter the market was Chrysler, which was founded 50 years prior in 1925. Eventually, Chrysler became known as one of the big three automakers in Detroit, along with GM and Ford, and DeLorean dreamed of his own company joining them one day.
0: But experts doubted it was possible. Car manufacturing was extremely expensive and most independent companies went broke just trying to stay afloat.
1: In late 1975, this was especially evident. Former Subaru of America executive Malcolm Brickland's own company, General Vehicles, had just collapsed. His gull winged sports car faced production challenges and low sales, and he burned through roughly $21 million in capital within two years.
0: DeLorean knew his new venture was inherently risky. His DMC business plan even said it was for investors who can't afford a total loss.
1: Not an inspiring sales pitch, but DeLorean still had faith in his vision, and he got others to believe in it, too. He later told Mainliner magazine, We're just a little tiny guy trying to claw, clutch, grumble, and scrape our way up in the world. And if we are smart enough and work hard enough, maybe 15 years from now, we're going to be another BMW.
0: DeLorean certainly hit the ground running. In early 1977, at an auto dealer's convention in New Orleans, he debuted the prototype for his company's flagship vehicle, the stainless steel ethical car.
1: Finally, it had a name, the DMC-12. The 12 came from the car's proposed price tag, $12,000, which is equivalent to $50,000 today.
0: The auto industry was abuzz about the vehicle's innovative design and features, in addition to its relative affordability. DeLorean promised that DMC-12 handled like a Ferrari at a fraction of the
1: cost. And he already had commitments to sell the vehicle in over 300 dealerships across the country. DeLorean used his GM connections to build a network of Chevrolet, Pontiac, and Cadillac dealers, promising them each up to 150 cars in exchange for buying stock in DMC.
0: Everything was quickly falling into place. But just as swiftly, the DeLorean Motor Company collapsed.
1: Next, DeLorean's investment money dries up.
0: Now back to the story.
1: In the mid-1970s, the DeLorean Motor Company quickly racked up $200 million in funding from loans, investments from celebrities, and British government grants. Its first car, the DMC-12, seemed poised to revolutionize the auto industry. The DMC brand really seemed like it could become the first independent car manufacturer to be profitable in 50 years. But the cracks in John DeLorean's plan started to emerge just one year later.
0: On October 2, 1978, DeLorean traveled to Dunmurry, a division of Belfast, to break ground on the DMC factory. It was an interesting choice of location, Northern Ireland was in the middle of a three decade violent conflict known rather succinctly as the Troubles. The Irish Republican Army wanted to free Northern Ireland from British rule while many of the region's other residents wanted to
1: stay in the UK. DeLorean had promised the British government that the DMC plant would bring 2,000 jobs to the impoverished rural area, which was in a brutal recession. This, the British hoped, would liven up the economy and curb the IRA's influence. DeLorean
0: recognized the risks of building a factory in the middle of a volatile conflict, but he was determined to make it work. He even saw it as a socially conscious opportunity to help quell the area's violence, a task GM would probably never take on.
1: The residents of Dunmurry, however, wanted nothing to do with the American business. During the factory's groundbreaking ceremony, protesters gathered outside the chain link fence, chanting, Yankee go home.
0: DeLorean should have listened. When the factory opened several months later, DMC had already outspent its budget. Doing business with the British pounds exchange rate hurt the company's bottom line. And shipping costs and delays across the Atlantic Ocean only made matters worse. Each batch of DMC cars took three weeks to ship to the United States, costing the company valuable time.
1: Additionally, DeLorean himself had become accustomed to a lavish lifestyle. He spent $78,000 of the company's money to move his family from Detroit to a New York City duplex on Fifth Avenue. He stationed the DMC offices on Park Avenue with a full view of Central Park, which did not come cheap.
0: This wasn't just an expensive tastes decision. As always, it was about revenge. DeLorean wanted his office to rival GM's own building, which was located about half a mile north.
1: But at the end of the day, the 54-year-old loved living a glamorous life, and he made sure his appearance was just as chic. DeLorean and his wife employed chauffeurs, servants, and an on-call psychic. He even underwent pricey facelift and chin implant procedures.
0: Even as the company faltered, DeLorean felt the need to project an aura of success. He didn't want GM to see him fail. So to hide DMC's initial struggles, he asked the British government for cash.
1: This time, the UK was far less supportive. In May of 1979, Margaret Thatcher became the UK's prime minister The conservative politician believed that the government shouldn't invest in private, foreign businesses. While some say she felt pressured to provide some small loans, she largely rejected DeLorean's requests for more money.
0: Internally at DMC, DeLorean kept hope alive, assuring executives that money was forthcoming. They just needed to sell the cars. But soon, the budget shortfall was reflected in the DMC-12 itself.
1: DMC rushed the car to the market, skipping the usual performance testing phase, which caused engineers to miss mechanical flaws in the design. And when the DMC-12 finally hit U.S. markets in the early summer of 1981, the company doubled the price of the automobile from $12,000 to $25,000 to make up for budget shortfalls. This made the car far more expensive than its competitors, which nullified the DMC-12's main selling point.
0: Timing wasn't on their side either. The 1981 recession in the US made consumers even less willing to splurge on a buzzy luxury vehicle that didn't live up to expectations.
1: The actual DMC-12 wasn't the safe, fuel-efficient vehicle DeLorean promised. The car was 500 pounds heavier than expected, lessening the power of the engine. So the automobile didn't drive like a Ferrari or a Porsche after all. It handled like a station wagon.
0: DeLorean hoped to sell 12,000 cars in order to break even. But after all the bad press... It only sold 3,000 by the end of 1981.
1: The industry considered the DMC-12 to be a massive flop. DMC tried to salvage the car's reputation by making improvements to the later production runs and selling them off at a discount, but the damage was done. Just one year after launching their flagship vehicle, DMC was $175 million in debt.
0: Desperate for cash, DeLorean turned to the British government for help one more time. He not only received a rejection, but an ultimatum. If DMC didn't pay back the debts it already had to the UK, the government would seize the Northern Ireland factory.
1: DeLorean tried to restructure DMC and take the company public, However, his plan included a $120 million profit for himself, but cheated executives, dealerships, and the British government out of their stock options. The proposal was promptly rejected.
0: One month later, on February 19, 1982, he surrendered the factory to the British government, which essentially wiped out his debt to the UK. DeLorean had once dreamed his car company would join Detroit's Big Three and become a formidable rival to GM. But now his factory was placed under receivership, typically the step right before liquidation, the absolute death of a company.
1: According to the auto mogul, this was all part of the master plan. The day he lost the factory, he released a statement to the New York Times that bordered on delusional. DeLorean said... I am delighted at the outcome. The government has the problem, and we have the fun end of the business.
0: Privately, though, DeLorean was not having fun at all. He was panicking. He tried courting a new round of investors, but to no avail. No one wanted to give money to a company that was on the verge of bankruptcy.
1: But in his darkest hour, DeLorean received some hope. On June 29, 1982, his former neighbor, James T. Hoffman, called. Hoffman
0: was a slick, fast-talking airplane salesman who was always involved in money-making schemes. He told DeLorean he could connect him with legitimate investors who could help get his company back on its feet. DeLorean had some reservations, but he needed the money. He would later assert that he had no idea what kind of business Hoffman was really involved in. Cocaine.
1: Next, DeLorean's illicit deal destroys DMC and his own career. Now back to the story. Poor car
0: sales, an economic recession, and an overly lavish lifestyle left 57-year-old John DeLorean's car company in dire straits in 1982. The DeLorean Motor Company's much-hyped vehicle, the DMC-12, flopped instantly. And the British government seized the brand's Northern Ireland factory to offset over $100 million in debt. DMC was dangerously close to bankruptcy. So in June of 1982, DeLorean turned to James T. Hoffman, an old friend who was once involved in cocaine smuggling.
1: DeLorean claimed he had no idea that Hoffman's investor associates dealt drugs until later that summer. But by August of 1982, DeLorean had become entangled in a $24 million cocaine scheme. DeLorean wanted to back
0: out when he found out drugs were involved but he stayed in for several reasons. His loan lender, Bank of America, was threatening to repossess the remaining DMC-12s. Investors wanted the company to liquidate. But meanwhile, the UK wanted to try to keep the factory open. It employed 2,500 people in Northern Ireland. A closure would be terrible for the economy. So the British proposed a deal. They'd keep the facility open if DeLorean paid them 20 million pounds, equivalent to about 34 million dollars at the time.
1: It was DeLorean's last chance. If he didn't come up with the money, DMC would close for good and all of its assets would be liquidated. GM and the entire auto industry would consider him a failure. His original deadline to save DMC was October 20th, 1982, one day after the big cocaine deal. DeLorean thought he could profit from the scheme, make the deadline, save the company, and get out of there.
0: As usual, nothing was going to go according to plan. On October 19th, DeLorean boarded a flight to Los Angeles which arrived around 2.25 p.m. Hoffman drove him around the corner to the nearby Sheraton Plaza La Reina Hotel and led him up to room 501.
1: DeLorean sat down as Hoffman placed a suitcase on the coffee table. It was filled with bags of cocaine. DeLorean held one of the bags and laughed. He later wrote... In the madness of the moment, I had never been happier. My carefully constructed world, my company, my pride, my future had been shattered. Yet I was grinning like a fool and joining in the toast.
0: Just then, two men walked into the room. One casually said, Hi, John.
1: At the sound of his name, DeLorean looked up, The men were FBI and DEA agents who had been taping the entire meeting. They immediately placed DeLorean under arrest and escorted him from the hotel in handcuffs. He was charged with eight felonies related to cocaine smuggling.
0: While DeLorean sat in custody, the company that he'd built from the ground up filed for bankruptcy. Their assets dissolved into liquidation, The British government closed his factory for good. His dream had become his worst nightmare.
1: The whole thing had been a setup. Hoffman had cooperated with law enforcement as an informant to work off his own cocaine smuggling charges. He participated in a bunch of sting operations, including this one which was aimed at his former associate, aviation entrepreneur William Morgan Hetrick, who was also involved in the deal.
0: Hoffman was desperate to reduce his own charges, so while they were trying to build a case against the aviator, Hoffman pitched another target they should look at, John DeLorean. DeLorean was the most high-profile person he knew— and the automaker's very public money troubles would make him willing to try the drug trade. Hoffman kept pushing the FBI and the DEA to look into DeLorean, but the failed car company executive was hardly their top priority. Eventually, Hoffman decided to take matters into his own hands. He called DeLorean using their brief friendship to pull him into the scheme. After that, the FBI and DEA got on board. Operation Full Circle, as the sting was called, would be focused on catching both Hetrick
1: and DeLorean in the act. Some friend Hoffman was. When DeLorean's case went to trial two years later in the summer of 1984, his lawyers argued that the FBI unfairly entrapped the auto mogul, eager to make an example out of him. It worked. On August 16, 1984, the jury found DeLorean not guilty. He was acquitted of all charges.
0: As DeLorean walked out of the Los Angeles federal courthouse, reporters swarmed him, asking if he planned to return to the auto industry. DeLorean's smile faded for a second as he considered his response. Then he famously quipped, Would you buy a used car from me?
1: He knew that despite his acquittal, his reputation in the auto business and as a businessman in general was completely ruined. And he continued to have legal issues in the years that followed.
0: Just a few weeks after his acquittal, his wife Christina filed for divorce. He would also face charges of racketeering, fraud, and embezzlement through the DeLorean Motor Company and its various holdings. He was eventually acquitted on these charges... But the entire country watched as his trials dominated the headlines, including movie director Robert Zemeckis.
1: At the time, Zemeckis was writing the script to Back to the Future with co-writer Bob Gale. In the original drafts, Marty McFly and eccentric inventor Doc Brown traveled through time in a refrigerator.
0: As Zemeckis prepped for the movie's production, he didn't think it seemed right. Then he got an idea. He asked Gail, wouldn't it be better for Doc to build it into a car? What if the car was a
1: DeLorean? Gail agreed. Loving the relevance to the cultural zeitgeist, the director replaced the fridge with a DMC-12 outfitted to be Doc Brown's iconic time machine. When Back to the Future was released in 1985, the movie was an instant hit, spawning two sequels and a brand new legacy for the DeLorean Motor Company's only vehicle.
0: Shortly after the movie's release, 60-year-old DeLorean sent the filmmakers a letter. He thought the movie was brilliant and thanked them for featuring the car so prominently. He wrote, I am particularly pleased that the DeLorean Motor Car was all but immortalized. Thanks again for continuing my dream in such a positive fashion.
1: Back to the Future did indeed renew interest in the DMC-12, now colloquially known as the DeLorean. Not only did fans dream of owning a real DeLorean one day, toy versions of the Back to the Future car flew off the shelves. The licensing fees reportedly helped DeLorean pay his legal bills.
0: But it wasn't enough. DeLorean continued to have money issues throughout the 1990s and declared bankruptcy in 1999. At age 74, the man who had once owned multiple million-dollar homes downgraded to a one-bedroom apartment. He sold his New Jersey mansion to Donald Trump, who turned it into a golf course.
1: All the trappings of DeLorean's once-lavish lifestyle were gone. His close friends hadn't trusted him in years, and his children barely spoke to him, traumatized by his legal troubles. In the wake of this extreme loneliness, DeLorean became increasingly depressed.
0: In 2000, DeLorean's adult daughter Catherine called him and said that she wanted to take him to a car convention. He was reluctant to go... But eventually agreed, people weren't exactly knocking down his door with social calls. And it turned out that this wasn't just any auto show. The event was exclusively for the DeLorean car.
1: Catherine started attending these gatherings to heal her own relationship with her father's tragic legacy. The car shows let her see how much the DMC-12 meant to so many people, despite its massive failure in the 1980s. Now, it was her father's turn to see.
0: DeLorean walked around an entire lot filled with his namesake cars. He marveled at all the people who loved it, even two decades after it flopped. The conference goers were excited to meet the man behind the legend and talk about the tweaks they made to their own DeLoreans.
1: Five years later, 80-year-old John DeLorean died on March 19th of 2005 from stroke complications. But when he passed on, he was fully aware of the DMC-12's lasting impact. DeLorean auto conventions are still being held today, and there's been talk of releasing an improved modern version of the car soon – Although his dream of one-upping GM died in the 1980s, his car still lived on, even after his death.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Falls from Grace.
1: You can find more episodes of Falls from Grace and all other Parcast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with another story of remarkable success and even more remarkable downfall.
0: Falls from Grace was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Mike Ramos with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Falls from Grace was written by Mallory Cara with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Vanessa Richardson and Carter Roy.